It's not that that was what she was trying to do. It's not that she couldn't do it. It was just laziness, I guess. They were too busy giving each other high fives for how great that R-E-S-P-E and C-T line was. Yo, man, that was super dope awesome. Yeah. That was pretty funky fresh. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints, your favorite podcast where lifelong friends, musicians, and music critics go through a list of Robert Dimery's 1001 albums you must hear before you die, give a deep dive on the album, and let you know whether or not you actually must hear it before you die. This week, we are listening to Nena Cherry's Raw Like Sushi. Uh, is that how you pronounce it? It is how you pronounce it. I pronounced oh, it incorrectly like last week. Uh, and in my brain, I've been saying Nana all week, so thank uh, you. I was saying Nina. Oh. But yeah, yeah. it is Nana Cherry, uh, raw like sushi. Not to be confused with the Mr. Big album that came out a year later, a live album by the band Mr. Big called Raw Like Sushi. Literally one year what later the? it came out. Come on, guys. <laughs> what the heck? This is the the band known for such seminal hits as "To Be with You" and "Jesus, They Suck." They're terrible. Come on, and Billy. To uh, be with you is much anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, let's, did let's they use the hot takes? Right. <laughs> yeah. What was it? What, what were you going to ask, Rob? I was just going to say, "To Be with You" is much better than any song on this record that we're we're about to discuss tonight. I was trying to figure out if they were the band that also covered "Wild World." Maybe I'm wrong. Hmm. Possibly. I didn't get that deep into their catalog because, again, <laughs> they suck. So I didn't really want to punish myself anymore. <laughs> I assume you'd be looking for any diversion this week. Yeah. Yes. Well, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the Nana Cherry album, We're All Like Sushi. Released June 5th, 1989. Let's give just a... I'm going to go through a quick background on Nana Cherry. Then we're going to listen to one song. We're going to give our general impressions. Then we're going to do our deep dive. All right. I'm going to rush through this really quickly, so we don't, we don't need to worry too much about it, all right? She was born in Stockholm. She was a Swedish mother who was an artist and a West African father who was a jazz musician. She ended up leaving, moving to a couple of different places, lived in New York, ended up settling in Vermont with her then stepdad, uh, jazz trumpeter Don Cherry who had a long collaboration with the saxophonist Ornette Coleman. Um, he got a job teaching at Dartmouth, so she moved to the States. So she had a music teacher for her father, and her biological father was like a jazz drummer. Very musical family. At the age of 14, she drops out of school and moves to London. Again, what the hell, parents? <laughs> moves to London, basically becomes a total scenester, starts hanging out with a bunch of people. The, notably, uh, was very good friends with one of the members of that English band, The Slits. Became a member of that band after a period. Was also in a band called Rip, Rig, and Panic. Okay, basically, she's a total scenester. Everybody is just, you know, in love with her because she's exotic. Um, but she always said she ah, felt like she right. was, you know, she said when she came to the States, she was too white to be black. But when then she was in Sweden, she was too black to be white. I'm very interested because at some point 
on this album, I think we're going to talk about a song where I thought she was Latina. I thought she had Spanish roots based on the lyrical content of the song, but we'll get to that. So this is all very interesting background. Tom, I feel like everything you just said, like if if you told me that you planted this Wikipedia page and this record (laughs) in the Spotify (laughs) library, it was like, yeah, it was like you were talking cellular biology. Actually, I'd have felt more comfortable (laughs) with cellular biology. By, <laughs> by, uh, by way of getting some introductions out there. Again, I'm Tom. Gave you a little bit of background on on uh, Nana Cherry leading up to this album. Rob, does that kind of jive with what you would expect to the background for a person who made this album to be? Yeah, that story checks out. My overview of the record is sort of less is more, and by that I mean that listening to this through my iPhone speakers directly as opposed to headphones was a slightly more pleasant experience. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. That's your tweet-length review. Listen to it on the crappiest speakers you can so it all washes out. <laughs> yeah, basically. All right. All right. <laughs> Phil, what's your tweet-length review of this one? Uh, yeah, this is just... This is just from a very unfortunate time and style of recording, right? Uh, yeah, this is just this is just bad. I would just go. I would just pass. <laughs> Adam, Adam, <laughs> what do you what do you got for me? Yeah, this is Adam, and my quick review is that this is what it would sound like if you asked a sixth grade Catholic youth group to write a hip hop album in 1989, both <laughs> lyrically and musically. Yeah, uh, that's about right. That's about right. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so my tweet length review is uh, this is what happens when your friends are too supportive of you and they don't tell you that your music sucks and like you should probably figure something else out. I don't know, be a visual artist or something, a graphic designer, do something else other than be a musician. Like they should have told her a long time ago. You can't sing. You can't rap. Your stuff sucks. Hold on. I just kept thinking the whole time I was listening to this that she has to be one of these people who walks around and introduces herself with multiple slashes in her title, like artist slash performance artist slash rapper (laughs) slash activist. But most importantly, mother. Right. (laughs) So confusing. Musical parents. Oh, wow. So, listen, by way of getting the audience to get a little bit of a taste of what we're talking about, We're going to play a song that uh, we're actually not going to talk about. It's just a song that I I think kind of encapsulates the sound of the album. Before we do a deep dive, I just want to just give you a little clip of a song to set the tone for you. All right. This song is called The Next Generation. I could not resist putting it on there as a gigantic Star Trek The Next Generation fan. (laughs) Let's listen to about 30 seconds of this. You'll get a feel for what it's like. We're not going to dive into the song, but this is just going to this is going to set set the table for you. Autumn breeze, a spring tease, summer days and winter nights. The seasons change and that's a fact. Is it not? Domari gato. Danke. Merci. Thank you. So, 
we gave our tweet length reviews. We played you a little clip of a song that I think kind of encapsulates the sound of this album. Let's talk a little bit about just the overall album and what was good, what was bad about it. This album got to number 40 in the U.S., number two in the what? U.K. Yeah. Dude, it's really confusing. <laughs> it's really confusing. Here's the thing that blows my mind. This album came out June 5th of 1989. Do you know what else came out in 1989? Aforementioned Madonna's Like a Prayer came out in 1989. I mean, this is like after Straight Outta Compton to come out. The same year that Queen Latifah's first album, All Hail the Queen, came oh, out, wow. which is great. A year after Salt and Pepper put out Push It. The same year that Janet Jackson put out Rhythm Nation, which if you listen to Rhythm Nation and then you yeah, listen oh, to yeah, anything on this Jan- album. Oh, oh, I, can, I can hear the attempt to sound like Janet Jackson. <laughs> but it sounds like hollow. It, oh, there's yeah. just not enough so there. So watered. Yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. same year as Full Moon Fever, Paul's Boutique, Paul's and Boutique, Hate, and Pretty Hate Machine. Yeah, this album sounds like it was made in 1982, not 1989. I can't believe that this is like you know some kind of forward-looking. Ooh, and Aerosmith's Pump. Oh, dude, <laughs> fucking love that. Yeah, album. I, I kept thinking <laughs> Diet Madonna, Madonna Light would be the most charitable read on this. Like you were trying to go for something. That was in the zeitgeist right now, and you just failed. You don't have enough pop. There's, there's. I see. I sense a little bit of pop sensibility here, but I think it just gets completely garbled with all the other crap that's going on in these tracks. And there's no editing. There's no self editing here. Right. This felt at times to me. I was, and and this this is by no means uh, d- disparaging to people who are not um, primary English language. Uh, speakers, people who weren't, you know, necessarily bringed up, brought up in the English language. Bringed up in English. <laughs> bringed up. Oh man, I'm ridiculous. It sounds like it doesn't sound like she's a very good grasp of the English language. There, there are points where you're, you listen, you're like, what is she trying to say? Like it sounded like, I don't know. You said she it was, she was in, she lived in Germany a decent amount of her life. She grew up in I feel Sweden. Like this is what it would London. sound like if a German tourist tried to write a hip hop album as well. <laughs> so oddly enough, talking about the reception of this album, she was nominated in 1990 for the Best New Artist Grammy, and she ended up losing to noted Germans Millie Vanilli. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 89 was a rough year for everything. There was felt- good stuff though. There was good. No, you know that's you. You hinted at it, Tom, but I felt mostly confusion. Listen to this. Like, why is this a thing? I truly don't understand. <laughs> and I was hoping you could shed some light on it. <laughs> Rob, as I listened to the record, the things that I was frequently reminded of were sort of like, sort of like a failure to sound like parents just don't understand, mm, right? Yeah, I got a little bit of that. You know, that DIY Will Smith sound. And it sure. also many times sounded like the Bartman. Like, I'm just ready for them to do the Bartman. And it's well, just Bart, Bartman has way better rhymes. I agree. Uh, totally. I, rhymes, period. I felt that there was a delivery style that she brings to the table, which I hate just generally but i feel like she played it up so much with this like did not just blow your mind with the words that i dropped and you're like no you didn't they were terrible not in it's the so least stupid. 
on that song, <laughs> The Next Generation, there's a line, and like it, I, I don't understand what she's even trying to go for here. She's talking about a black market baby getting adopted, and the mother is like, I don't like the face, but it's okay because my husband's a surgeon. I'm like, that's literally never happened. In the history of time. That's never happened. Even one time. What the fuck are you talking about? Nobody's like, well, I'm going to buy myself a baby, but it's kind of ugly. So as an infant, I'm going to give it a nose job because that's how faces work when they grow. What the hell are you talking about? But it's sort of delivered with this kind of like sneering, like, I know so much. I'm so raw and real. You're really not. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Tom, I'm going to be honest, I didn't pay that much attention to any of these songs. I couldn't go that deep. Dude, I had to hate listening to this. Spotify, for those of you who are going to listen along, we'll throw in clips, but we're also going to have the Spotify playlist. I noticed Spotify has a nice new feature that if the lyrics are written down in some server somewhere, it'll actually show it as the song is playing in the Spotify app, which I found very useful for this album because it just doesn't make sense. The metaphors aren't internally coherent, and it's just very odd stuff. Yeah, you pointed out that uh, in, in the text that she has a really big problem with like perspective, where it'll be like <laughs> I'm talking to somebody, and then I'm talking about them, and then I'm talking as if I was them, and then I'm talking about something completely different, and like there's no transitions between them, and they just kind of smashed all together, and it's yeah, really hard to, yeah. to find some kind of lyrical thread. I mean, there are. There's thematic stuff going on in this album. She's got a bit of a female empowerment thing going on. Very into motherhood. Talks about motherhood all the time. She was pregnant at the time of the recording of this album with her second kid. Is that the one she's awkwardly dancing with in one of the music videos that looks like she almost drops one of them as she hands it off to another backup dancer? Are you talking about in the man child video? We'll get to <laughs> yes, it's the fever dream. I'll, we'll talk we'll touch yeah. on we'll touch on the videos. You guys watched but, oh my videos? god. Dude, they are a treat. You gotta watch. Yeah, agree. Highly recommended. Like, okay. Phil. Right. Yeah, I I described it as potentially like Andy Kaufman level trolling. <laughs> that like, there's no way that this could be a serious endeavor. They must actually just be fucking with you. It is so so ridiculously cheesy. Can we also mention that the album is a minute? I'm sorry, an hour and seven Very minutes long. long. That's like, crazy. That is oh, remarkably the long. Shortest track. The shortest track on this album is three minutes and 51 seconds long. That's the shortest. That is the shortest wow. track. Yes. It is regularly putting out five-minute songs. Now, speaking of an almost six-minute song, a five-minute and 42-second song, let's dive into our first one that we're going to do a deep dive on. This is the song Buffalo Stance. Now, tambourine, right now.
anybody have any idea what the hell she's talking about? <laughs> I feel like we should role play what it was like to be the producer listening to her lay down these tracks. Uh, so what do you want me to do? <laughs> so uh, the producer actually was her husband. Uh, he was the executive producer. So, okay, that, that video that I sent around to you guys that we're going to touch on in just a second, because this song is references a couple of things. It actually started off as the B-side slash remix of that song, Looking Good Diving, that I sent you that video for from, what, Morgan McVeigh? Yeah. So Cameron Boogabear McVeigh was her husband of Morgan McVeigh fame. Was he the creepy one or the creepy one? <laughs> he was the creepy Was he the one that had the sardonic face that looked like he was locked in this weird <laughs> scalping? Sorry. No. Rictus sardonic. He looked like he had a lot of foundation on. Ah, was, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. I had to look up what a buffalo stance was. Did you guys look up what a buffalo stance is? No, I didn't. Please tell us. I was, I was hoping you were going <laughs> let, to. Let, let's talk about just an enduring piece of pop culture that, of course, you want to immortalize in a song. That is apparently a reference to pooping the Buffalo Bills defensive lineman Bruce Smith <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> Would like do this like after he had a big play and like kind of cross his arms. You'd be like, yeah. And it was briefly well, in pop culture referred to as a buffalo stance. Hold on, now I like it way what? better. <laughs> Just so, so random. Since he is a tech mobile all star, Bruce Smith is kind of a badass. Oh, oh yeah, he's uh, he's a first ballot hall of famer. Yeah, <laughs> for tech mobile specifically. <laughs> tech mobile. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> Rob, why don't you start it off? What did you like about this song? Honestly, not much. Can I, I? I will say that one of the first thoughts I had, I was searching for things that were okay. Like I said, she occasionally has a melodic figure that, that feels like it makes some sense in the pop music world, but she typically follows up with, with something or another section of the song that makes absolutely no sense <laughs> to me. The drum programming, I, I will say this, the drum programming is okay on the record in the sense that it at least sounds like work was put into it. It isn't just running on autopilot all the time. I don't like it. It's not danceable. It's actually kind of terrible in the drum sounds specifically, which in this song she calls our attention to very directly, about telling us about the hi-hat and the tambourine. It's like, you're just telling me, <laughs> you're just directing my attention more to the fact that it's not a real tambourine, obviously. It sounds terrible. Yeah, right. <laughs> but... Let me introduce you to another sh- button on my shitty drum machine. <laughs> like, that hasn't worked since what? Cool and the Gang, or who is the band? I'm gonna add some bottles. Oh, that's Sly. That's Sly and the Sly, Family Stone. Thank you. Sorry, Sly. Yeah. Yes, like that was the last time introducing the instruments in a song was cool. <laughs> 1968 or 72 or whatever. And they ripped it. You know, like once yes. it had been done, it had been done. <laughs> what? Yeah, the bass guy kind of makes that too. Guys, right. I'm, I'm yeah, actually totally. getting a look at these videos now. These are really psychedelic, man. It is, it's, yeah. Look at those, look at the background dancers for Buffalo yeah, Stance. It's like, they can't be actually serious. There's no way that that can be a genuine. <laughs> yeah. It does look like it's a joke. Like, yeah, like, th- like th- this might be good, actually. I'm confused now. <laughs> it's, but it's bad. So, Adam, what, what yeah. did you so like I had, about so this song? I get why this is the hit, in quotes. It was catchy. This is the song that actually, having listened 
you know, a, a couple times. This is the one that sticks in my head. I get a little bit of that chorus going going around in my head. I thought the synth thing, that the little synth is cool. dun, 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 like that was pretty cool. Now, yeah, you know what that is though? That is directly from that song, "Looking Good." Right? Diving. They just did a yeah. a more hardcore synth version of that. Now, I yeah. think uh, as part of one thousand and one album complaints, we need to pick a name for the thing that happens in songs where the singer calls out for an exciting instrument part or some part of the song and then nothing happens, mm. right? We have the Taylor Swift. We have, uh, what was the it? Hall Hall, thank you, Hall yeah. On this one, she, she everything stops. She goes, yo, check out this DJ. And it's like silence. And then there's this <laughs> like off, off tempo. <laughs> and then it goes back. Wait, that was just... That was your DJ? Oh my god, this is terrible. I was hoping for like a like anything, but it it was kind of let's if we can drop that in, let's do that. It was reminiscent of that. Remember they had like the spin and speak things as a kid where it'd be like the cow would be like, but you could like take it and be like, wicka, wicka with yes. it and do like the fake scratching. The equivalent like of the farmyard animal pull string. Yeah. Phil, lay it on me. What was your favorite part? There's like a cool sort of synth rhythm part around like two minutes. It sort of picks up, right? It's when the song picks up. I thought that was cool. Would it shock you guys if I told you that this song was ranked by Q Magazine as the 606th best song ever made? <laughs> Mark Sign of the Beast. <laughs> number 37 on the top 50 dance songs from the Daily Telegraph. And number eight from the Guardian on their list of the greatest ever female rap tracks. I, I can just I can just say that like that maybe I I just have a major blind spot here. Maybe this is awesome, and like that part of nope. me just doesn't exist. You know, no, no, no. It's not you because I like female rap from the '90s, and like this sucks. This is not any good. There's like like a hollowness to this song, and it kind of fills out a little bit. Like when that it's supposed to be a guitar, but it's a synth that down, 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 down. Right. Fills it out a little bit. But otherwise, this song just seems unfinished to me. And it's just so goddamn cheesy. <laughs> like that line was like, what you expect? The guy's a gigolo. Ha, 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 ha. Like, oh, the he, doing? he. Oh, yeah. There's a couple spots yeah, oh, that, that where it's just. Oh, I'm sorry. That's actually that. That's another song. The he he. It's really stuck out. But the, the yeah, she has tons of those slam poetry Ooh. interjections that are just yeah yeah ridiculous. Slam poetry is a good way to describe it. That's the didn't I just blow your mind with my rhyme type of approach that I just don't. And it feels like they don't know what cool is. And I mean, this is funny coming from me, who's the least cool guy in the world. But if you're going to be a rapper or a pop artist, you should know what cool is. This feels like it was written by like a 65-year-old guy who, you know, what what are the kids doing this now? All right, yeah, let's let's turn it up and talk. It just really felt, um, I don't know, insincere. I, I don't know. Or they're just super corny. They're all nerds, 
and their goody two shoe. I don't know. It just felt. Is it an England odd. America thing? Maybe is that what it is? Like England was just behind the curve on all this, and that's why it hit so big. England's always been more into dance stuff since I guess the late eighties. They they got more into sort of less acoustic music and more dancey. But honestly, I was like, you're Swedish. They're renowned for writing fantastic pop, pop songs. songs. Yeah, yeah. What the hell? Did that that was not part of the uh of the DNA, I guess. I, I just pictured a bunch of people around the studio just like high fiving each other, being like, Oh man, this is so awesome. We made such a great track. It'd be like super self congratulatory about how great it was. And yeah, there's probably like the one guy sitting in the background, like, I think this actually kind of sucks, but uh, I don't want to try to like bum your vibe here. here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, man. Yeah. I just, I don't get, I don't get it at all. I really don't get it. The the subject matter about like, I guess you're going to a club and there's a man who is an obvious pimp, like a literal pimp who is like selling women for money. And yet somehow you're still attracted to him. And like, this is like, I don't, I don't get this at all. And you, we're still talking about Buffalo. And that's how you rebuff his advances with the Buffalo stance. Yeah. Oh, it's all. And then you do the dive every time you dance. Cause you know, (laughs) oh my God. All right. I want to move on real quick to the next track. Also released as a single, by the way. The song, Man Child. face tells me you got something to say here about this one yeah the the chord pattern's not good <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's not at all compelling or enjoyable and the melody that she tries to do on top of it it feels like there was an opportunity that if you wrote a really cool kind of maybe a minor melody that did something cool, but it almost <laughs> sounds like she doesn't know what the melody is because she kind of is like hesitating on some of the notes and she just kind of winds up half-assed singing it and you can't really define what the melody is. And yeah, it just, uh, it was just, uh, I, I didn't like this one at all. <laughs> this was one, this was one of the few songs where I actually had like, hope like oh, like i'm 20 seconds into the song and i think like ah oh, this, this, this could be a song this Maybe one in particular this is going somewhere. there's a yeah. like there's like a like a dj thing or something right at the beginning like a, like a like a like a scratch track or something but it's just one sound and it has this cool reverb on it and then like the synth comes into one side the drums are like oh this could be cool and this annoying chattering comes in you're like, oh yeah oh, no. it's like a bird and then there's yeah something. well no it's her 
I don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about her lyrics to the annoying yeah, chatterings. It's like pre pre lyrics. And then there's this chord, and it's almost like it gives me the same vibe as the, the car song Drive, that uh, Who's Gonna Drive You Home. And then and then it just goes like right off a cliff, like you said. Like, yeah, there's no melody, and, and basically it just falls into the trap of the whole record. I think now I kind of have a postulate for maybe what happened here because I was thinking that vocally she just comes in and shits all over the track every single time <laughs> really and bad. never yeah. really finds anything consistent. So maybe it was produced as two totally separate, you know, maybe the boyfriend or husband made all the drum programming and then she just hopped into the booth and started started just going ape. <laughs> that That's funny because, like... How do you have a very clearly undefined melody and also fail to hit the notes? <laughs> I don't understand it. You also fail to hit the notes, even though you haven't defined the melody very well. One of those is a slam dunk, and neither one of them. <laughs> yeah. I just what cracks me up is I thought I wrote down that she approaches this song with the confidence of someone who thinks they just coined the term "manchild" for the first time. <laughs> like, this is the most trite sentiment I've ever heard. Oh. What? Okay. What the hell is this opening line? She this, this sort of line where she's like, "Okay, you're on your own. It's late. Your girlfriend is on another date with the hero in your dream. Turn around. Ask yourself. So you think you're gonna win this time, man, child? What the hell does that, that mean? Doesn't even, it doesn't mean anything. Does. Is that is is that what she sings, or is that the jabbering before she starts singing? So that's the jabbering before she starts singing, but then she repeats a whole bunch of those lines. And like well, literally, okay. Yeah, the she reason these songs are lines. five minutes long is because she like there's there's one like one verse and yeah. I don't even understand this device, like why you would choose to do this. She says your girlfriend is you're on your own, it's late. Your girlfriend is on another date with the hero in your dream. And then three lines later, she says when it's late, your girlfriend's on a date, and the hero with her in your dream. I'm like, you just said that. Why did you? Why did you say that? Like literally 14 seconds ago, you said that. You didn't need to seconds. do that. It's 14 seconds. This is not a callback. It's not a reprise. It's the next line. I, I gotta say, this might this track might be the low point of rapping, <laughs> like ever. <laughs> Oof. No, I think there's one other low point of rapping, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, like, there's like, oh, oh, this I, is really ah, a, yes, let's wait for it. It's so good. Uh, it's so bad. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, she gives me like, um, I remember Rob. You remember our old bandmate, bandmate Eric? Yeah, he used to do my my favorite impression of like early rap. He's like, I'm rapping, I'm rapping, I'm rap, rap, rapping. <laughs> like, that's that's the vibe that she puts off. It's like you just heard about rap like six weeks ago, and you're like, oh, I can totally do this. Yeah. Let's go. Horatio Sands did that on SNL back in the 90s. Like, rip, rap, rippity rap, a rip, rap, rippity do. And that was like, yes. Yeah. Yes, that, was that was his rap. Yeah. Well, there's also another one of those like, I mean, it's a rap trope that was popular at the time where you spell out the word oh, instead yeah. of saying it. You know, like uh, Snoop Dogg very famously does the raise up off these N-U-T's because <laughs> she gets none of these. Like, that's a great line. Her, she just says, like, 
she's trying to spell out respect, but she says <laughs> R-E-S-P-E-N-C-T. She, but the way that you say it, it sounds like you said the letter N and not the word N. What's respect? <laughs> like, yeah. You didn't plan, so you ran, you ran out of time on the, on the letters. Yeah. And, and also there's another very prominent song where, that's, where that word is spelled out. Yeah. Uh, quite successfully. Uh, <laughs> quite successfully. I. This is another one of those videos that listeners do yourself a favor Oof. and watch just the CGI from 1989. It looks like a screensaver. I got it going right now. It's, it's, it's glorious. Uh, also, you got to check out these the pants styles of 1989, man. Shorts were trying some stuff if you are producing a song you're putting it as your second song in your album and the opening line that you sing you just butcher the note because <laughs> she does it better later in the song but the opening one the first one that you hear is the worst one by far in the song she really is super flat on those notes just again do another take Ooh. Why? When she says, "Who listened to that?" And let that sinking. pass. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. But again, she hits it later in the song, right. much better. It's not that that was what she was trying to do. It's not that she couldn't do it. It was just laziness, I guess. They were too busy giving each other high fives for how great that R E S P E and C T line was. Yo, man, that was super dope, awesome. Yeah, that was pretty funky, fresh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having way too much fun on this episode, by the way. Oh God, this song is this stuff is. Are there any more videos? You gotta watch the looking good diving video because she's in it, it, right? She is in it, and she's holding a guitar like she's never encountered a guitar before. (laughs) All right, I'll check that. I'll just I'll just watch it on me. So awkward. I I imagine I don't need the music for this video, right? No, it's not gonna. Yeah, you don't. But it's it's still pretty funny. They also have the. The woman playing the drums, like she has like an e drum kit in the video, and she's like playing it, but she's got her arms <laughs> crossed wrong. So like you would you would like kind of trying to do the hi hat with the hand that's on the top and it's right. or the on the bottom. It's it's so terrible. Again, people who have just like the the ergonomics of instrumentation have never occurred to them before. They have no idea what to do with these. Uh, let's go on to a song that starts off. With uh, a sample that I actually name checked as being horrendous in the uh, Twelve Dreams of Doctor Sardonicus episode, uh, Inner City. I'm sorry, Inner City Mama. All right. Just shoehorn in the terrible skyscrapers <laughs> and everything. Stevie Wonder sample. God. 
This song sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I detect a theme here. My only compliment to this song is that she she hadn't rapped at least by the time I stopped listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it might come up at some point. Actually, it had that uh, little jazz breakdown. That was something. I, yeah, I, yeah. I was that think a? This is my favorite song on the record. Yeah. <laughs> was that a sample, or is that actually someone playing a keyboard? Guess corny enough. It sounds so at least the 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 sound of the piano sounds like very eighties synth piano. So mm-hmm. my guess is they oh. played it totally. This one did feel like a song, like it had a chorus that was like you know I didn't particularly like it, but it was musical. Some of the other stuff I just like I just, it doesn't even get to the level of musical for me. Yeah, I would agree. And this is the one where where she. The perspective is really weird, and this is me actually reading lyrics as they scroll by on the screen. But first, like she was talking about the city, and then she potentially was the city, <laughs> and then she was gonna. I, it was very, very confusing. And the line that really bothered me, just because it made no sense. And I guess she's talking about how the city is gonna beat you up. And by your spine, I'll bruise your veins, which to me just stuck out as yeah, just odd. The part that stuck out is terrible to me is where they have, and they even have like a bunch of people copy it where they go, the good, the bad, the ugly. Like, we just shout movie titles now. <laughs> Come on. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Like, it doesn't work. (laughs) Come up with something better. Not exactly Randy Newman there. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing is that, okay, motherhood is a very constant theme on this album. But this song's not about motherhood at all. Why? It's, It's thematically inconsistent. I don't get it. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old man shakes fist at cloud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously though, this is uh I I I want to know. Seriously listeners, I really hope that there is a Nana Cherry fan out there who's going to write in and tell us exactly why we're wrong cuz I want to grow and I want to get better about appreciating new things. It's part, it's part of the whole reason why we do this, right? expose ourselves to different kinds of music. It's not just an exercise in us praising what we like and shitting on what we hate. I'd like to find new things to like and new things to hate. This gave me some new things to hate, but I didn't get a whole lot of new things to like. Can somebody explain to me why this is lauded? Like, what the hell, Robert Dimery? Did you listen to this album, or did you just be like, I remember hearing Buffalo Stance on the radio in the 80s? So uh... Throw it on the list. Yeah, this is classic Dimery. You know, <laughs> laziness, right? Like, oh, this was, oh, it was a hit. hit. Yeah. 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 I mean, just everything about this is so disposable and just being done better by so many other people. And it has that sort of like, um, 
you were an interesting scenester, so everybody gave you a pass on like a lot of your bullshit, which happens in life a lot. People who are interesting and exotic and, you know, cute and they get a pass on a lot of their bullshit. And somehow that turned into an album that now I have to listen to. Who was the that, Velvet Revolver the... woman? What was her name? Is it Nico? Oh, Velvet Underground. <laughs> Sorry, not Velvet <laughs> Revolver. That would be Scott Weiland's group from the 2000s. <laughs> yeah. uh, I believe Slash was in that. Okay. Oh, that's, that's yeah, thank that. you. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah, let's just keep on moving on because we, we got to get through this. Get through this. We'll do it together. Let's talk about the song Love Ghetto. I'm in a home run. I'm in a home run. On the last stretch. On the last stretch. I'm in a home run. I'm in a home run. On the left foot. With the right foot. This was my favorite song of the album. I'm going to say that. <laughs> this was my favorite song of the album. It's I'm, not saying I'm much. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I know. I know. Do you guys, have you guys ever seen, there's a, a, a video on YouTube. It's from the 70s. It's some Italian guy who's basically singing a song saying nonsense words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's yeah, like, yeah. this is what English sounds like yeah. when people yeah, sing it. Yeah, th- I got that total vibe from this. Like, the words are words. Yes. They just don't make any sense at all. Like, I'm in a home run. Thank you. I'm in a home run on the last stretch, on the last stretch. I'm in a home run on the left foot with the right foot. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> and I thought I maybe, like, okay, Germany, Sweden, maybe home run is being used in a different context. But the start of the song is the sound effect of, like, the crack of a bat and a ball and a crowd cheering. So it's obviously a baseball metaphor. It just annoyed the hell yeah. out of me. I was stuck on my island with a puddle oh. of misunderstanding, oh, yeah. like a C between us. Wow. <laughs> I got real, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Millhouse's dad. <laughs> Can I borrow Kurt? a feeling? Take my hand with your glove of love. That's an excellent Millhouse's dad. <laughs> yeah. Hurting hearts need some healing, yes. man. <laughs> we got one of the Doobie Brothers. Uh, that it, I, that is immediately what I thought of. Just because, oh, that line, ooh, about the puddle is rough. <laughs> Kurt, was Rob, it Kurt Van Houten? Kurt, Kurt Van Houten. Yeah. yeah, some of these lyrics are really weird. When we anchored our love in the harbor, seems so long ago. What? Yeah. But the mixed metaphor, the there's like ocean, water, but then the chorus is all about <laughs> baseball. Like it just, <laughs> it just doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah, what are you trying to get across there? I'm in a home run on the left foot with the right foot. Am I supposed to be like, oh, damn, I can totally relate to that. So I remember I was fighting with my wife and I was like, man, I'm on the left foot. I should be on the right foot. That's okay. Yeah. Chasing you is haunting me, but I know that girl was lying. You upset my chemistry. What? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Can we also touch on the fact that, like, she doesn't rhyme barely, barely. Ever on this album? Yeah. And when and when and when there is rhyming, it's like a a b right. b. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, she. You know, I'm not multilingual, so I'll give her a pass. 
Well, hold on. Is she not a native English speaker? Because I kind of got the impression at a glancing at her Wikipedia page that she was, she was born to English-speaking parents in a foreign country. Is that not true, Tom? Well, her mom was Swedish. I'm sure she grew up speaking English, but she speaks multiple languages. I, right? I know she speaks Swedish as well. There's an, so an interview with her where they were like, introduce yourself in Swedish. <laughs> Again, just like the fawning interviewer who is just like, uh, you're oh, you're different. so cool and yeah. exotic and different. Why don't you speak Swedish for me? Oh, that's so cool. I'm like, I guess, yeah, but like a lot of people speak Swedish. <laughs> it's a, a language that an entire country uses. Doesn't make you all that special. Yeah. There's a piano solo in this song. So we got that going on. <laughs> eh? Eh? A very clearly synth <laughs> piano solo. I don't think I made it that far. I don't know. Maybe I did. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't hear the second piano solo. I, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I said it sort of sounds like pop music. Question mark. <laughs> I just there's the one part, and it's in the it's in the chorus where she's like, "Come rain, come shine, I'm leaving this love ghetto," and they did the thing that. Madonna actually did on like a prayer with super cheap. You'll never come down like style backups. Cause like come and just go come shine in the background over the come rain, come shine part. And uh, yeah, it was, it's terrible, but at least I got a laugh out of it. I couldn't even laugh at most of this. It was, it was <laughs> offensively bland and terrible to me. I, I really had like tr- like ADD trouble sticking with it. Like I, it, like it caused me to avert my attention. Yeah, this has been the toughest listen for me so far of the thirty odd records we've done. Yes, easily. I honestly, I would put it on in the house, and by the weekend, my kids were like, "Again, really." We're listening to this one. <laughs> like, like I'm getting sass from a seven-year-old about how much this album sucks, and I'm supposed to take it seriously as like a seminal album that one must hear before they are shuffled off this mortal coil. Go to hell, Robert Dimery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, let's let's move on. This might be a short one today, dear listeners, because I don't think we had a whole lot of depth that we can try to assigned to this album again write in and tell me i'm wrong i'd love to hear it so the last song we're going to talk about is the song heart (laughs) 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 yes laughing before we even get a chance to listen to it let's cue it up let's spin it Hearts with hard is a hate crime. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. 
Can we get a list of like taboo rhymes that we can have for uh, this podcast? You're not allowed to rhyme girl and world and heart and heart. It doesn't even make sense. It's so lame. And this is, yeah. I assume, someone else wrote down this the grocery list rap. Oh, oh Tom, chocolate, bananas, you... donut, and salami ain't going to fit because you're full of baloney. Oh. Kids on the playground would be like, that's stupid. <laughs> you should probably rhyme something with salami better than baloney. They don't rhyme like, at all. <laughs> That's where my that's where the youth group thing came from. I really feel like this is a group of like, you know, just kids being like, what could we say that's okay? How about you're full of baloney? And then they all laugh. And then Nina Cherry comes in and says, that's great. And takes Nana. It. Nana, sorry. And I don't know what that accent was either. <laughs> well, that's funny because if you listen to interviews with her, she does have a very interesting accent because it's kind of British. But she also kind of has a bit of New England going on because she lived for a while in Vermont. And she also kind of has a I did not grow up speaking English exclusively accent going on. It's It's an interesting accent. I can see why a bunch of mid to late 80s scenesters would have, you know, people are like friend collectors. And uh, I, I find this to be particularly true with people who are ultra hip scenesters. They like to collect friends that have, that like sort of fill out different, um, it's almost like they have a, a bingo card of like, well, I need to have a non-English speaking uh, <laughs> friend and I need to have a friend who's non-binary. I need to have a friend who... Um, is uh, an artist. I need a friend with a drug problem. Like everybody, you need all of these friends. I could see her being like, "Oh my god, she like checks off like four boxes." I have to, pay, I have to become friends with her. Would you make that bingo card? That could be our first merch. <laughs> oh, oh that's yeah. good. The hipster friend bingo card. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I I think that quite possibly my favorite part of this album is that line where they're doing the grocery list. And it's not the line itself. It's the fact that they have people doubling it and they're like kind of like, oh, <laughs> like it's like big diss. Oh, like, snap, dog. I, I actually find that to be kind of delightful that that is what you think a diss is. Like straight out of Compton had already been released. There's a much more harsh things that you could say on a record about people. I, yeah, but like it's, it's almost, I, I feel like they were in a bubble. And it just so happened that she knew a bunch of musicians who had access to studio time and had access to synthesizers and other musical equipment. And they all were just in this collective bubble where they were, it's a feedback chamber. They're just, you know, echo chamber that's bouncing each other, bouncing ideas off of each other. And because they had access to recording equipment, they had access to studio time they didn't have to have outside people come in and validate their ideas. Right, they made it right. all the way through the creative process before somebody was just like, hey, this really sucks. <laughs> like, really bad. Here, here's an idea that apparently didn't get bandied about in the studio. Not every song needs a fucking intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you probably could have shaved, like, yeah, like 30 minutes, minutes off of this album <laughs> every song has 20 seconds of intro in fact in, in that way all the songs sort of have this like they're sort of begin the same way yeah right 
this is a extraordinarily bloated Tom, ass. Extraordinarily Tom, bloated. you had mentioned Mr. Big at the top of the show. And it seems like Mr. Big was aware of this sort of anomaly. Because they really actually doubled down on it. I know we're just sort of jumping the shark a little here. But in 1990, Mr. Big released their first live record, Raw Like Sushi. And they followed up in 92 with Raw Like Sushi 2 live in San Francisco. Followed by 94's Japandemonium Raw Like Sushi 3. Now... They release several more live records, but then they they reawaken the Raw Like Sushi franchise with Raw Like Sushi 100, live in Japan 100th anniversary in 2012. Does anybody know what 2012 was the 100th anniversary of? I don't. Why the hell is Mr. Big still getting gigs I don't know. in Japan in 2012? I don't know. Well, the they heck? released Raw Like Sushi 114 in 2015. <laughs> Well, listen, I mean, I, Billy Sheehan I hope they're playing was the... at like a club, like a bar size club, something that I could get booked at. Right. That's what I would hope that they're not playing. It's not like, oh, man, we're like downtown Tokyo in <laughs> right. some stadium. Like, no. Actually, it's appropriate because if you go to Tokyo, they have all those tiny bars that only fit like nine people in total. So maybe that's perfect for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And like six of them are the members of Mr. Big. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One wonders if maybe the Western world had just learned about sushi at this time. Like, everybody was like, did you know it's sushi? It's just raw that, fish? Isn't that crazy? Wait, what? Uh, now that, that I'm is digging, possible, yeah. Now that I'm digging into the raw, like, sushi uh, albums, it seems that they're re-releases of, of peak Mr. Big from sort of the, the 90s era. So... That's what the the fans were clamoring yeah, for. <laughs> More live Mr. Yeah. Big. Unreleased. I, I unreleased would listen to... If you were to put a gun to my head right now and say, you can listen to Raw Like Sushi 60% of the way through right now or every single release from Mr. Big, <laughs> I would say I'll listen to all the Mr. Big releases. I can't take another like 60% of this album. Agreed. I can't do it. Oh, my goodness. I, I'll agree with that sentiment. Yeah. Well, let, let's get to then the most uh, uh, suspenseful part of this podcast. Unless anybody ha- else has anything to say about Heart, that, that fantastic song. It's just, I, I my only my one note at the top was this seems like just a ton of stupid tropes thrown at the wall. But I feel like I could have just put that on every single song on this <laughs> album. This feels like a bunch of stupid tropes <laughs> thrown at a wall. We did not mention Nana Cherry has a very famous sibling. Yeah. Eagle Eye Cherry is her brother. Really? And that's his actual name. Huh. His legit name, born Eagle Eye Cherry. That is not some clever uh, stage name. Wow. All right. And she also has an uncle, Buck. Buck Cherry. That's I made that's a joke. Really. I was like, wait, is it that coked out rock singer Buck Cherry? Because they definitely yes. don't look alike. <laughs> well, that's funny because I I originally was like, oh, I wonder if she's related to Buck Cherry. I never heard a moment of Buck Cherry's music, and I pulled it up on Spotify. I was like, oh, definitely not. <laughs> no, oh my god, no, coke rock, coke. Rock. Her her father, yeah. the the man who raised her, it seems was. Uh, Played with Ornette Coleman. 
Not yeah, he was he was a guy. That stuff's pretty out there. Uh, so. Well, I think I mean we should mention the Eagle Eyed Cherries hit was called Save Tonight, right? Oh, yeah. And it's you know right. it's a very a inoffensive tune. kind of pop tune. Yeah, it's a good tune. Yeah, we'll put that on the uh, the the playlist for you all that accompanies this. It's not a bad tune. You're right. It is. I re-listened to it. It's a little bit more middle of the road than I thought it was going to be, but definite palate cleanser in the middle. Was it the Rolex? Might that. have the same chords as the Passenger off the Iggy Pop record. Now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> uh, no? that maybe that's possible. It's not. It's not a good song. Miles better than any song in this album. <laughs> Except for, of course, the immortal Buffalo stance. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look more into the history of you know the Buffalo stance. I, you know, I think I gave it all to you. I don't think there's much more to it besides some defensive end for the Buffalo Bills in the '80s. Not even a Super Bowl champion, which is such a deep football reference for them to screw up the baseball home run. <laughs> I'm in a home run, left foot, right foot. Like, how are you? doing this maybe there's a cool video of you know bruce smith crushing some people set to this song oh it's possible look like it no the the other thing that is a little odd is this she was in london at the time where is she getting intimate knowledge of american football in london it's not like she was cruising reddit or something like that just happened (laughs) to see like a bunch of memes about him like how did that information even travel over there by anyway. boat, apparently. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So let's go and get to the tallying of the votes. I am in suspense, as I'm sure you all are, dear listeners. This is the most exciting part of the podcast. We decide, does it make the cut? Does it not? Rob, give it to me. What's your vote? No. <laughs> <laughs> Phil. Give it to no, me. no, you can you can live your whole life without listening to one second of this record. Adam, this album is not worth your time because it's full of baloney. <laughs> so that's a no for me. Yeah. See, I think the problem with you guys is you just don't like to be challenged, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> this album sucks. <laughs> I feel like this album was the equivalent of smoking a carton of cigarettes. Like whatever <laughs> amount of time that takes off of your life, this took that it's amount not- of time off of my life. Um, yeah. Never going to get it back. Listen to Queen Latifah instead. All hail the queen. It's way better. It sounds more modern. This is so backward looking. This is not anything new. This isn't anything that it was enduring. And I honestly can't believe that people still think this is good. But if you guys think we're wrong, 1001 album complaints at gmail.com right in and let us know we would love to hear from you if you have a full-throated defense of nena cherries raw like sushi and the mental capacity to write in full sentences <laughs> we will read it on the air it's depending uh, but i really doubt we're gonna get that i would love to again dear listeners please write in and let us know but I, I like the idea that, that there's no mental capacity because anybody actually listening to us, it's doubtful that they would have the mental capacity to write an email. I was more doubting that if you're a Nana Cherry fan. Oh, there you go. Got it. All right. All right. Yeah. That's, that's more accurate. You're like, these lyrics really speak to me. 
so if those lyrics really speak to you, you don't have a here's, great grasp. Here's another. Here's a you know, Rob. Senses. Rob, I like your theory that like you know they were just like spitting lyrics with no no planning whatsoever. Yeah. Is it also possible that this was just people goofing off? This was never intended to be like a. Yo, that would be really funny. It's like a, a it's like a sociology experiment. It this makes much mm. more sense as a sociology experiment, or, or even just to be told me that she wrote. I, I use that word lightly. All the lyrics and melodies and did all the vocal takes within like a forty-eight hour period in total. You know, it's one of these challenges where you're locked in a room. Yeah, I mean that would change my opinion of it, but I think this was labored over, sadly. <laughs> oh yeah, this was recorded in like over the span of nineteen eighty eight and nineteen eighty nine. This wasn't dashed off in a weekend. Um, you know, like December twenty seventh to January second, eighty eight to eighty nine. I I don't think that this could be just people goofing around because it has a self seriousness about it. That was one of the more grating things for me, if I'm being honest. The I can listen to a dumb album that knows it's a dumb album and be totally fine with it. The self-seriousness of it was a bit grating on listens like three and beyond. It's, it's quite tough. tough. It felt very self-satisfied and very um, self-congratulatory for no apparent reason. It is... Phil, as you have coined that phrase before, unearned confidence. <laughs> Strolled into this studio with unearned confidence, laid down a turd, and then made an entire career out of it. So oh, it goes to show what we it know. Is. Yeah, sure. Tough. But let's move on. Let's 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 figure out what we're gonna be listening to for the next week. And I in all honesty, if it turns out to be another just eighties crap fest, I'm gonna open a vein. I don't know if I can handle this for another week. <laughs> But I do have the Albinator out here. I'm going to give it a little extra mojo loving here, and hopefully it'll spit out something good for us. Drum roll, please. Next week, we will be listening to... Oh, all right. The B-52s by the B-52s. Hmm. Which, again, I really hope has a song called the (laughs) B-52s on it. They seem like the kind of group that might do that. Bunch of damn weirdos. It's definitely weird. Yeah, I don't know. The big one that comes to mind, well, obviously, what's the... Love um, Shack. Tin Roof. Thank you. Well, yeah, Love Shack. Is but that the, on this album? I, I, I don't I know. That was later. That's, yeah, that's the, I'm just thinking about the only B-52 songs I actually know. And then Rome. Yeah. Rome was a good one, right? That was in the oh, er, well, rock early stuff. 90s, right? Yeah, 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 it sounds about right. Got it. Okay, cool. Yes. Actually, have a B- yeah, B- I'm looking at B- this right now. record that I want to say is produced by David Byrne. It's pretty cool. It doesn't have any hits on ah. it. It's a little, you know, it's it's cool. A quick look at a quick look at their discography tells me that Love Shack came out ten years after the one their debut that we're gonna listen to. Huh. All right. Yeah. I didn't realize they had that much longevity. Oh, to be honest. Seriously. And yeah. Rome too. Yeah, Rome was on Cosmic Thing, which was. Hey, released June 27th, 1989. So uh, yet another great thing that was coming out in 1989 that was not much better. Raw like sushi. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the B-52's debut album. Awesome. Very cool. All right. I've always had an appreciation for weirdos that uh, try to make their own sound. So 
I'm excited about that. Sweet. As always, dear listeners, check the notes. We got the playlist in there. You can uh, listen to any of the songs that we referenced here. Um, please listen to the B-52s, the B-52s, by next week. And until then, I have been Tom. I've been Rob. I'm Adam. And I'm Phil. Boosh. That was terrible, man. That that record is so bad. <laughs>